The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted? We know that from Scripture that God doesn't tempt anyone and that temptation is a result of sin. So what was God's purpose in having Jesus be tempted in the wilderness? Well, in order to understand this account, we have to go back in time, back to the Old Testament, and understand two other accounts. First, the fall into sin, and second, the exodus of Israel from Egypt. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them perfect. They walked with God, and he gave them a way that they could worship him. Even as they were perfect, he put a tree in the middle of the garden and said, for you to worship me, do not eat from this tree, and as you don't eat from this tree, you will show me that you love me. Fast forward a few thousand years, and we see the nation of Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and God rescues them from slavery. He performs miracle after miracle, culminating in the parting of the Red Sea. And his purpose was he wanted to lead his people out into the wilderness so that they might worship him there, and also he would give them the promised land of Canaan through which the Savior would come. Two groups. Two groups that God gave the opportunity to worship. Two groups that very quickly didn't listen to what God had to say, but instead listened to Satan and his temptations. It wasn't long before Adam and Eve ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And it wasn't long before the people of Israel, even after they were rescued from slavery, they began to grumble and complain against God, and they preferred idolatry and sexual immorality to what God had to offer them. Satan is a master of temptation, a master of deception. And he has learned over time that people don't fall into sin when presented with blatant sins and big lies. No, people more often go for the half-truths and the small sins. Here's an example. What if I were to come up to you after church today and say, hey, do you want to rob a bank with me this afternoon? Would you be at all tempted to join me in robbing that bank? But what if I came up to you before a long day of work and said, hey, I was thinking about taking an extra long break this afternoon, and I wasn't planning on clocking out. How about then? Would you be tempted to join me in taking that extra long break? Do you see Satan's tactics here? Both of those are deceitful. Both of those are taking money that you didn't work for, but one's a lot more tempting than the other. You're probably a lot more likely to take the break than rob a bank. Satan not only tempts us with half-truths and small sins, but he's also learned that each person is susceptible to certain sins. You may have looked around at other people as as they act and as they, they sin, and you may have thought to yourself, I can't believe they just did that. I mean, they have to know that it's wrong, right? 
I would never do something like that. The interesting thing is, is that those people probably look at us and think the exact same thing. It's because Satan's temptations are not one size fits all. No, they're individual and they're personal. We call these sins pet sins. And they're like pets in the sense that they kind of hang around. And we get used to them. And maybe we get, maybe even enjoy being around them. Take a moment today and think to yourselves, what are some of your pet sins? What are the places that Satan likes to lead you to that you may not even realize you're being led to? What are the things that you just can't shake off that stick around like a pet? I can't answer that question for you. There's only two people in the whole universe that know the extent of your pet sins, and that's you and that's God. But God understands what you're going through, understands your temptation in a way that you might not even begin to imagine. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but was without sin. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan let him have it. He took everything that he had ever come up with to tempt human beings, and he just threw it at him, hoping that one thing would cause Jesus to stumble. He came to Jesus and tried to convince him that he had to provide for himself. He had to look out for himself because his heavenly father was obviously not taking care of him. He was hungry and hadn't eaten for 40 days. Satan tried to convince him that Jesus should test God to see if God would actually keep his promises. God made some big promises, so let's see. Let's see if God will actually keep those promises. And then Satan takes him and shows him all the luxury of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, everything that human beings had ever wanted and could ever want. And he said, if you just do a small little thing and bow down to me, this will all be yours. And where we might have fallen over and over and over again into sin, Jesus never fell. And this temptation wasn't confined just to the wilderness. It wasn't just 40 days of temptation. It started when he was born. Ever since the moment he was conceived, Satan had been doing his best to get Jesus to sin against God. But no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't do it. And that's the greatest news for us. That's how we can say that Jesus understands our temptations and our sins better than we can even possibly imagine because he doesn't just know about them. He knows them. He went through it. He suffered and had to fight Satan just like us. If you've ever been to empathy training before in your life, you may have learned that there are certain phrases you just don't say when you're trying to comfort somebody. You may know where I'm going with this. When you're trying to comfort somebody, you never say, I know what you're feeling. Because odds are, you really don't know what someone is feeling. And if you say that to them, I know what you're feeling, you might actually offend them and make the situation worse than better. But that doesn't change the fact that the person who is looking for comfort wants somebody who does know what they're going through. 
when it comes with our, to our battle with sin and our battle with Satan and temptation, we can go to Jesus because he says to us, and it's true, he knows exactly what we're going through. We don't have to be like the children who avoid their parents because we don't know what they're going to say. No, we can take our problems, we can take our burdens, we can take our sins and give them to Jesus. Who better to carry them than the one who not only endured each one of them himself, but has also forgiven us on top of it all. But the temptation of Jesus doesn't stop there. Satan wasn't trying to just ruin Jesus' personal relationship with God. There was something much bigger at stake. When God created the world, he made Adam and Eve and wanted to be with them forever. He wanted to dwell with them and shower them with blessings and show his boundless love for them and for all their children for all eternity. And that's why God made the perfect garden and this perfect world. But in the midst of this perfect world, there arose an enemy. We see him today in our gospel account, but he was there in the beginning. He was once a holy angel, but he was a holy angel who dared to defy God, who dared to try to usurp the throne of heaven. And when his plan inevitably failed, he was cast out of that paradise, along with all those demons who followed him, and they received their destiny a lifetime, an eternity of damnation and torment. But even though his plan had failed, his anger and hatred for God hadn't subsided. He thought to himself, how do I get back at God? How can I hurt him for what he did to me? It didn't take him long to realize that if you, if you want to hurt God, you have to separate him from the things he loves most, from the ones he loves most, from us. So Satan slithered into God's perfect world. He whispered words laced with lies to Adam and Eve, and he watched and he laughed as they became just like him as they now were going to die, as they now were separated from God, as they now lost their holiness, as they now received the destiny of damnation. But you know, you know the first words that came out of God's mouth after the fall into sin? They weren't, get out of my sight, to hell with you. Well, the first words out of God's mouth were, Where are you? Where'd you go? Why are you hiding? See, even after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God still loved them. And even though they were hiding from God, God still pursued them. And even though they had listened to the father of lies rather than their loving Heavenly Father, their Heavenly Father made them a promise. He promised them that he was going to be the one to save them. He was going to send someone to crush that serpent's head. He was going to send the substitute, 
the Savior, to fix the relationship with God that the humans had broken with their sin. And that sin still remains today, doesn't it? We read in the scriptures, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It, we received it as an inheritance from Adam and Eve. And every time we sin, it's just another reminder that we were separated from God. It was just another reminder that our true punishment for what we've done is an eternity in hell. God says that he looked down from heaven to see if there's anyone who was good, anyone who sought God. He called out to the world across time, where are you? And one voice responded. It was the voice of the one promised. It was the voice of the offspring of the woman. It was the voice of the one who was going to crush the serpent's head. It was the voice of the very Son of God. And as God called out, where are you to humanity? Jesus said, I'm right here. Jesus is perfect in a way that we could never be. We have the same tempter, but where we fall, he never did. And Jesus was here for a reason. He knew that in order for mankind to be with God once again, sin had to die. But the wages of sin is death, and no sinner can pay for their own sins. But Jesus, being perfect, could give God the perfect life that he demanded. But Jesus is not only perfect man, but he is true God. So the payment that Jesus would make with his life would not be just a one-to-one exchange, one perfect life for one sinful life. No, the blood of God is so precious that It covers the sins of the whole world, each and every one of us. So when God called out to the world, where are you? Jesus said, I'm right here. I'll take the sinner's road. I'll carry their sins. So he went. And that sinner's road led him through the wilderness. That sinner's road led him to be betrayed by his friends, to be mocked, to be whipped, to be crucified, to be abandoned by God. Jesus suffered all so that we might be like him. Because of Jesus, because of his victory, our relationship with God is restored. He looks at us and sees holy children And when God calls out to mankind, says, where are you? We can by faith and without fear say, we're right here. So why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? So that he could be the one who God promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden. The one who would crush the serpent's head the one who would withstand every temptation, the one who would take God's wrath in our place, the one who would live the life that we could not so that we might be like him. So join me during these 40 days, these 40 days of Lent, and watch as our Savior takes the sinner's road. Watch as our Savior wins our salvation 
as our substitute. Amen.